Friends, it's good to be with you this morning as we hear God's Word. It's good word from us is from Haggai chapter 1. And if you've got that there, you can certainly follow along. It'll be found in your white and blue Bibles that you've got in many of those rows there. And you can find it on page, oh, it's about page 700 or so. If any of you had a house like that, I wonder what you would do. What's, what's wrong with that house? It, there's a lot of things wrong with that house, right? Uh, it's pretty grown up. You've got a lot of bushes to hack down. What do you think about the roof? Is the roof in, in pretty good shape? Probably, probably not. Siding? Not, not so much. Uh, if you're looking at that house, what do you think, how do you think the windows are? Probably, probably not great if it's gotten like that. Electrical? Plumbing? What do you think of the, the floors are inside? Probably in rough shape. What would you do if that was the house down the street? What would you do if that was your, your house down the street? Some of you would say, well, I, 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 you know, I might politely say something to the neighbor. Most of you would probably just ignore it, right? You'd just ignore it and go on with life. Uh, maybe, maybe some of you would bring your lawnmower down and, and mow the lawn. Any of you do that? Or, or pull out your hedge trimmers? Uh, some of you might call the city council, right, or the, the city commission, uh, the town commission, and see if they can do something about it. There's a lot of homes that look like that in, around us, and, and maybe, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're a little bit sad, maybe they're tough to look at. What if that was your house? You know, it's easy to say, I would get up my act together and I, I would fix that house. It's easy to say that, but what if you don't know anything about roofing? How many of you can roof a house? You know, what, what if you don't know anything about plumbing? How, how many of you could plumb a house? What if you don't know anything about plumbing, right? Uh, how, what if you don't know anything about electrical? You know, it's easy to say, isn't it? If you look at a house like this, you're like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd fix that thing up. I'd put it all together. But what if you don't know anything about any of those things? And what if you have aging parents who need help getting to doctor's appointments and picking up groceries? And what if your kids or your grandkids are, are all playing sports five nights a week and they got tournaments on the weekends and you try to see as, as much as you can and be there? And what if you're just a, I don't know, say a police officer or a firefighter, right? You're on a fairly fixed income. You get minor raises and you don't have a lot of money left to, to spend on contractors to fix your house up into a nice place? There's a lot of issues that you would have to deal with, wouldn't there? There's a lot of issues that it would take to rebuild a house. And if you've got a house like that, maybe the community is like that, it would take a lot. Friends, that's what God wants to talk with you and I about today. He wants us to rebuild our homes, rebuild our community, rebuild then together our congregation. We're going to look at the book of Haggai. I bet a few of you have read the book of Haggai before. Have you ever read the book of Haggai? A few of you. But I would guess most of you have never taken a look at the book of Haggai. And so if you haven't, here's your chance. We're going to look a little bit at the book of Haggai. Here's the story of Haggai. Seventy years after exile, the Israelites, the Judean people, they're allowed to return home to Jerusalem. Their land is a wreck. Everything was burned when the Babylonians came through. The homes are all gone. The vineyards, the fields, 
all burned. The city has been burned. The temple has been burned. And it was destroyed brick by brick and stone by stone. It was all ripped down. Now, I wonder how many of us would have looked at that site and said, I'm going to stay. I wonder how many of us would have stayed. Right? Would, you have, would you have looked at that house, but far worse, and would you have said, I'm going to stay? I'm going to stay and work in this place. I'm going to stay and fix this place. I'm going to stay. There is a time to walk away, isn't there? There's a time to say, enough, I'm done. I'm just going to walk away from this place. But there is a time to get up our gumption, to get up our courage, to get up our strength and to say, I'm going to fix this place. And friends, that's what God talks to you and I. That's what he says through Haggai today. He wants us to fix, fix our, our homes, fix, rebuild our, our community, rebuild our congregation, to rebuild together this place. And he says it in two, by looking at two things, the time and our ways. First, he mentions the time. He speaks of the time in this section. And you can, you can see that in Haggai chapter 1, specifically looking at verse 2 there. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They've returned from exile, right? They've returned from exile and they are rebuilding their homes. They've planted crops. Now they're saying it's not the right time to rebuild the Lord's house. And God says back to them, well, is it time for you to live in these paneled houses? Now, I think I want to... Wow. I, see, I didn't do any of that. Right? I, I want to be fair to the people here. I want to be fair to the people. Uh, because the people, they're not saying we don't care about God's house at all. Right? They're not saying that. They're saying it's not the right time. And there are two ways to understand this phrase when they say they live in paneled houses. One way is to think of it as they're building really fancy houses. Another way is to say they've just got enclosed houses. Very, uh, They're putting roofs on their houses instead of living in shacks that are in open air. Friends, you might think that this is the part where I say, you know, you and I, we just we buy too much stuff. We spend too much money on our stuff. We buy too many things in our lives. Materialism is killing us, and, and we need to get rid of that all. Blah, 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 right? You might think that that's that part. But that's, that's not this. Here's the thing. You need to know, here's at least one thing you need to know. You need to know that how much this is a surprise. You need to know how much this is a surprise. Because, for example, King David. King David was the best and the most famous king in all of Israelite history. King David got to build the palace. King David got to stretch the country out to its farthest edge. King David got to build the people into a real nation. What happened when he started to build the temple, though? God said, wait, what are you doing? It's not the right time. Here he comes to Haggai and he says, it is the time to build my house. To David, he said, this is not the right time to build my house. It's amazing. God is this person, this being who is timeless, and yet he pays attention to specific times. I think we need to, to break that down for just a second, right? You, need to, we, you and I, we need to think about that. God is eternal, 
He exists forever. Yet he also pays attention to specific times. He's what we call immutable. That means he, he never changes depending on the time. You and I, we're, we're nothing like that. We are very much timed creatures. We are born and we live and we die. I can know more about you when you tell me about how old you are than by anything else in your life. Because you and I, we are bound by time. I think a decent example is the difference between a clock and a timer. God's like a a clock, a nuclear fission clock. He never stops. He never misses a tick. He just stretches on from all, uh, uh, from all of time. If you've ever seen a, a nuclear fission clock, it just tick, 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 tick. It never will stop through all of eternity as long as those, those cells keep breaking down. On you and I, on the other hand, what are we? We're more like a kitchen timer. Remember those old-fashioned kitchen timers? Love those things because they start and then, and then the best part is, is they slow down as they get to the end and then they go really fast right at the end, right? And they go, bing! And the whole place wakes up. And you and I, we're, we're, we're like the timer, right? We, we start at a time and we get to an end. God is not like that at all. But here's the one tweak, because God is not just a clock, is he? God's somehow an alarm. He's somehow an alarm. He somehow manages, even though he is a timeless, eternal being, to pay attention to the times. He knows the times. And he can say, this is the right time for something. And this is not the right time for an action. He knows the times. And all of that's fine. But then do you and I know the times? See, here's the fascinating thing. I get so many people who, who can tell me, who point out to me, do you pay attention to the times? Don't you see what's going on in our times? Don't you see how the times are changing? Or let's get with the times we got all those things to tell people to pay attention to the times. But are you and I more driven by our timers or by God's clock? It's an eternal time, but it will go off at a certain spot. I don't know about you, but I, I hate that feeling when the alarm goes off in the morning. You wake up and you're all groggy and you're like, that was a beautiful dream. I was on the beach in the Caribbean drinking a Mai Tai or something. And you wake up and you're like, oh man, back in Michigan. Feel groggy for the rest of the day. Isn't it so much better if you pay attention to the times? My body has actually gotten to the point now where I don't need the alarm to wake up. I wake up a couple minutes before the alarm almost every time and I can shut it off and the dream comes to a beautiful conclusion and I feel awake and refreshed for the day. Isn't it better to pay attention to the times so you know when the alarm is going to go off? Friends, that's what God is saying here. He's not just saying, don't be so tied into the stuff of our life. But whose clock runs your life? Everybody has a timer in them. Every one of us has a time and we can feel that time. And yeah, we're going to get married, right, at a certain time. We're going to get, get an education at a time. We're going to die at a certain time. That timer. But which timer 
Your timer or God's eternal clock drives your time more. How are you pacing your life? And God shows us at the end here how we can decide. He says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. He says in verse 5 and 6, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. But you drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not worn. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Look at what God says here. He says, consider your ways. Notice he doesn't say, look at the outcome of your life. He doesn't say, look how things are going and see if you're living a good life. He says, consider your ways. In Hebrew, literally the paths. Look at where you are walking with your time. You know, if you and I, friends, if we're saying, I feel like I'm not getting enough in life. I feel like I'm never getting ahead. I feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like I'm not uh, making enough money. I feel like my kids are not getting enough opportunities. I feel like I, I just don't have all of the chances that I want to have. If you and I are going through life feeling like that, God is saying, don't just consider the outcome of your life. Consider your ways. Because God is not a God who says, I love good people. I love people who work hard in life, and I love people who try hard, and I love people who get ahead. God is the God who says, I love sinners. I love people who confess their sins. I love people who realize their mistakes. I love people who ask for help. I love people who come to me because they are needy and they are broken and they have a heart that is searching and longing for me. God loves people because He is compassionate and gracious and good for the sake of Jesus and not because we work hard and we're trying to fix everything in our lives. That's what He means when He says, consider your ways. Think about these Israelites and the time of life they were in. They had just returned from 70 years in captivity. And I know, yes, they came home and their homeland was a wreck, their houses were burned down, and they had nothing. But what should that have been a time for? That was a time to praise God. That was a time to admit that they had messed up and they were glad to be home. That was a time for sacrifice. That was a time for prayer and asking God for help. That was a time to get back and to work again on God's things. That was a time for offerings. That was a time for repentance and confession. That was that time. A time for those ways. God was asking the Israelites to consider somebody else who had walked across the same desert 1,500 years ago. 1,500 years before the Israelites had returned from Babylon into Jerusalem, Abraham had walked across that same desert. And you remember what Abraham did when he left his homeland and he came to a new place? Maybe you know that story. Abraham crossed that desert, and at every place where he stopped along the way, he didn't whine and moan about how bad life was. He built a, a, an altar, and he made a sacrifice to God. 
He called the places Shechem and Bethel, house of God. He called the places where God visited him. He remembered God. And friends, that's what God says when he says, remember your ways. The gospel doesn't say that God loves you and I because we work hard and we're getting ahead in life, because we've striven so hard and we're, we're getting all of this good stuff. God says that he loves sinners. He loves people who confess that they've messed up. He loves people who have gone through a pandemic and have said, yeah, my life is going to end. He loves people who have said, I'm not getting anywhere near as far ahead in life as I thought I would because I'm trying to do life my own way and help me, God. He loves people who say, I'm not getting along as well as I want with my husband or my wife or my friends and my neighbors. Lord, have mercy on me. Friends, God loves you. He loves you. You, as people who are sinners, you as people who need his help in this time. Friends, that's what it means to consider this time and our ways. So let's do that. Let's consider our time and our ways and be bold builders once again. One of my favorite pictures to think about with this book of Haggai is to think about uh, Legos. Maybe it's because I like to build Legos with my, my kids. Imagine that you're a Lego. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give every one of you a Lego when you leave here today, so it will be easier to imagine that you are a Lego. Imagine that you're a Lego. Now, some of you might be just the little two-dot Legos. Maybe some of you are just the, the one-dot Legos. Maybe some of you are the eight-dot Legos. There's some 16 and 24-dot Legos back there. You're really big stuff. Thank you for being so impressive for us. Now, all by itself, one Lego is not very impressive, is it? It's just one little, I mean, you can't even see it. It's, it's not much of anything, is it? Some of you are working very hard to build your families, and you should get encouraged for that. So you take four or five Legos, and you put them together. Maybe you can build something kind of neat. Maybe you can even have, you're building your whole family together, so you put 20 or 30 Legos together, and that looks pretty cool, doesn't it? But you know, none of that compares or 90 Legos all put together. And friends, that's what God wants you and I to be building together. He says, look, you are one Lego all by yourself. Now build yourselves into this great place with me. Build yourselves into a house. Build yourselves into a temple. Build yourselves into a great congregation in this place. Friends, let's be bold builders at this time. Jesus has come and he has said to us, consider your ways, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. You and I know without a doubt that Jesus did not just give up his life so we could be good people. He gave up his life so we could be saved. And together we could build a temple, a dwelling, a congregation that declares to the whole world just how great he really is. Let's consider our time and our ways. Let's be bold builders. As you leave today, I want you to take one of these Legos. I've got a plate out on the, a Lego plate out, out on the table, and I'm going to challenge you. Let's see what you can build together. I don't want anybody taking 20 all by themselves. Each one of you has to take one Lego and build it into a great temple. 
Build it into a great house because that's what we are together. Let's consider our time and our ways and be bold builders. Let's pray for that in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have come and redeemed us so that we can consider our ways. We don't need to just work hard and strive hard in life so that we can get ahead. Your gospel tells us that we are forgiven and we are loved and we are accepted because of Jesus Christ, not who what we have done. And you tell us that you accept sinners, you accept failures, so that we can be your people. Let's consider now our time, Lord, and our ways, and boldly build with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.